Welcome to the Westside Investors Network. Win your community of investing knowledge for growth. This is the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast for real estate professionals by real estate professionals. This show is focused on the next step in your career, investing. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like our content, rate us on your podcast provider. Just a quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for educational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any shares or securities, make or consider any investments or take any other action. And now, AJ and Chris Shepard. Welcome back to another episode of the Deal Deep Dive segment on the Westside Investors Network podcast. I'm your host, Trent Werner. In this segment, our featured guests will share their unique stories on a specific deal they've invested in. We will dive deep into finding the deal, financing the deal, writing an offer, and the due diligence. Do us a solid and smash that subscribe button, leave us a rating, and share this episode. And now, let's dive deep. Welcome back to the Westside Investors Network podcast. Today, we have a deal deep dive with K. Trevor Thompson. It goes by Trevor. Trevor, thank you for joining us. You wanted to introduce yourself and get us rolling? Yeah, so I'm definitely excited to be here. I'm originally from Niagara Falls, Canada, which maybe you can figure out that's why there's my background. My company is called Niagara Investments, just because that was a good name for the company. Started in the attractions industry, which is big in Niagara Falls, eventually moved to Orlando, finished up my career with iFly Indoor Skydiving and started passively investing about five years ago. And then I got let go, which a lot of people did during COVID and decided to do real estate full-time. That's awesome. That's the real reader's digest of a crazy life. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Trevor has a video on how he could be, you know, make a claim that he's the most interesting man in the world. I said before the recording started that he would get my vote. Trevor, can you just kind of tell us, because there's, you know, there's a lot of people that work corporate jobs and work for bigger companies for getting into real estate. But I don't think I've ever talked with anyone that's worked for the types of companies, the attractions yeah. and that kind of things that you yeah, have. So I started at the young age of 13 with the Ripley's Believe It or Not. We had a museum in Niagara Falls and I worked there all through my high school years, five years. And then I moved up to Guinness World of Records and I was there for 18 years. And with Guinness, they actually didn't own the rights in North America, but they bought them back. So I ended up running one in the Empire State Building and then opened a couple of franchises, including in Los Angeles, California, and then just started getting connected. One of the coolest things when I was with Guinness is we gave Michael Jackson a Lifetime Achievement Award and I actually had lunch. If you can imagine, I was two people away from Michael Jackson. This was pre some of his troubles. So it was right when he signed the biggest record contract with Sony Records. And then I met all kinds of unique people. The world's tallest woman actually used to work with me. And then we used to take her on for shows. So I traveled internationally with her. And then I actually wanted to open a Guinness in Orlando, Florida. And so I got everything arranged, but the deal fell apart. And while I was arranging that, I also arranged to open up a year round haunted house called Skull Kingdom. And so I opened that and it wasn't very successful, but you know, got me into United States. And then I got recruited by iFly Indoor Skydiving, but the original location in Orlando, Florida. And the most interesting thing is the very first team meeting, the owner gave everybody a copy of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I was blown away by the book, but did what so many people do. I just continued to do my job. You know, I read it. I understood it. 
I knew the value of investing in real estate and passive income and multiple streams of income, but off I went. Did 20 years with iFly. So opened up 46 of 80 worldwide locations, you know, so pretty cool on a cruise line, Brisbane, Australia, Perth, Queenstown, New Zealand, Sao Paulo, Brazil. So, you know, it was very exciting. And then I started passively investing. We got bought out by a private equity company, which for the first time gave me some significant cash. And so that's when I started passively investing. And then all of a sudden, I realized the power of real estate. And since then, I've been passively invested in 20 syndications. Six have already gone full cycle, and I'm a GP on two. So to all the listeners out there, that's why I wanted Trevor to explain his background, because it was definitely not your traditional work at a corporate job and then get into real estate to you know, to quit your day job type thing. How did working for those different companies, especially in the entertainment and attractions business, how do you think that helped you with real estate and eventually starting Niagara Investments? Yeah, so definitely because our companies were all very small and entrepreneurial, so that definitely, you know, got it. I understood location in real estate. I also understood, you know, how to treat clients well and give good value. And if you really think about that, buying apartments, that's really what we do. And we actually bought back a couple of struggling franchises and did the same thing I'm doing now with apartments, right? We went in, we took a look at their business. We spent a little bit of CapEx. We switched out to management. We put some better systems in and we grew We called it EBITDA, earnings before depreciation, tracks interest, and we call it NOI. But it's identical really in what it is. And again, so we took over, increased our operating profit by about 30%. So it's this very many of the principles, oddly enough, were very transferable. Some things aren't. The terminology, of course, is different. But being in a consumer-focused business, you know, where you're dealing with people and you're dealing with cash and basically you're providing a service. In that time, I provided entertainment or attraction benefit. Providing a home is also providing a service. So it's, oddly enough, way more transferable than I thought it would be. Yeah, that's interesting, especially when you talk about, you know, being in real estate for my career, I've seen the business acquisitions and all that stuff. And I really never understood the translation, but it sounds like it's just different terminology and the principles. Are yeah, it's, it's oddly very similar. Yeah. And like you mentioned, you've done plenty of deals on the passive side. And now as the general partner today, we're going to be talking about a recent deal in San Antonio. Can you explain that deal and what attracted you to pursue that yeah, one? Yeah. So I've been, you know, Texas is a great market, but it's also a hard market because there's a lot of competition, a lot of big players in the space, you know, and here I was this new, you know, scrappy new investor trying to figure out, you know, so I kept putting offers on deals and never got anywhere. Very challenging. Then I worked kind of hard to connect with some people and get a better team of people in place. And then, you know, we started looking at deals and then all of a sudden, You know, um, one of the people I've been working with was a property management company that wanted to get into the GP space and had actually done a few deals. There was just no fit for me to go on the deals with her there. She texted me and said, I think I got one for us and texted me the information. And it was so interesting. I was actually at a meetup in Houston and the former owner of that property was speaking And so I asked him a bunch of clarifying questions about the deal and, you know, got some good, solid advice. And he actually is one of the local mentoring programs here in Texas. And 
you know, then it just started from there. We started building our team, you know, trying to take it down. It was an off market, which, you know, came from a broker. So it just wasn't marketed. Right. And how many units was this deal? 75 units. It's a C-class property, 60s vintage, again, poorly managed, a lot of deferred maintenance, you know, so it was perfect for what we wanted. Hour and 10 minutes from my house, so I'm the asset manager. So, you know, again, I'm kind of learning. It was the first deal that I'm fully an asset manager, even though I volunteered one, oddly enough, as an LP, which doesn't happen very often. So, but, you know, I can go touch it, feel it, see it, walk the units before we lease them out. It's a really good fit. And what kind of unit mix are we talking on the 75 units? Yeah, so it's got a whole pile of different units. It's quite interesting. It's got a different variety. So it's got some very small one bedrooms, not studios, but small. And so there's like three sizes of one bedrooms and there's two bedrooms and then three bedrooms. And some of them are townhouses. So it's a very interesting mix of property, which is a good thing because, you know, it gives us some variety of the tenants and it was built in two stages. So the first is a series of fourplexes and eightplexes kind of put together. Then it's two story where the office and the pool is the sort of phase two of the property. Very nice. And if you don't mind me asking, do you remember the purchase price? Yeah. So it was 6850000 So it was a good price, good value. It was that price on a loan assumption. So you know, often there's because of the prepayment penalties, you know, here's a cash price, here's a loan assumption price. And I'll be honest, at the time we looked at it, interest rates were, we had it at 5.1% locked in for seven more years. So at the time, when we started looking at this early summer of last year, you know, interest rates were around the 5%. So it was like, and then, of course, when we finally closed, because loan assumptions take a lot longer, you know, interest rates were like seven and a half percent. So now we're geniuses. But, <laughs> you know, I'll take it. I'll be a genius, you know, but it was a good way to be able to buy the property. And it was a right size property for the team in place. So, you know, we could qualify for the loan. We didn't have to bring outside people in. So that was my next question. When you're doing a loan assumption like that, do you have to raise capital for it? Yeah. So actually often more capital. Okay. So this one, we were very lucky. It was at a 71% LTV. So we were very lucky at the purchase price we got it for. So, but we obviously we raised, you know, all of the difference between the purchase and the sale price, all of the fees associated with buying it. And then we raised our CapEx budget. So we raised $3.4 million to buy the property. And now, here's a word from our sponsor. Get things done while you're on the move. Learn more about working with a virtual assistant through Offsite Professionals. It's a great way to get all the things done that you need to get done. Have freedom in your time and streamline your life by automating your business. Stop spending time on the tasks that you can delegate and start spending more time on your superpower. Call us today at 503-446-3177 or visit our website at offsiteprofessionals.com. Uptown Syndication is now offering a syndication coaching program for you to take your real estate portfolio to the next level. This is your opportunity to have experienced syndicators, AJ and Chris Shepard, coach you on your way to controlling your real estate investing future. Our coaching program will provide you with the tools and framework needed to begin syndicating real estate in your target market. Go to uptownsyndication.com today to learn more. And then what, speaking of CapEx, what plans do you have going forward or have you already completed? 
Yeah, so no, we haven't completed it yet. You know, we bought it right around Thanksgiving and we all know it's pretty hard to get stuff done between Thanksgiving and Christmas. So we're just getting on the CapEx now. It's an interesting property that it was actually over renovated three and a half years ago. So the interiors are in pretty good shape, but the owner had done nothing on the exterior. And everybody knows if you have a 60s product and you don't do anything for three years, you end up with a lot of wood rot, a lot of different things. So the issues aren't huge, you know, cleaning up the parking lot and repaving it and striping it. You know, obviously a lot of landscaping. I mean, they had a flower bed in front of the office that was more like a trash bin than a flower bed. You know, <laughs> just that kind of idea. You know, so most of our CapEx budget is deferred maintenance, including several air conditioners that we knew going in that were going to need to be replaced. Taking care of wood rot. There's some settling in sidewalks and the one stairwell that needs to be repaired. But And two buildings need the foundation fixed. And again, that's very typical, but what's not typical is we don't have any plumbing or electrical big fixes, So, which is very nice. So it was kind of a big surprise to us that it was, we thought there'd be a little more. Now, day seven after takeover, we lost the boiler, <laughs> you know, but again, that comes with that age of property. Right. You know, it's rare in my experience that you don't have to do a whole lot of interior stuff because I feel like yeah. a lot of people will just focus on the exterior for curb appeal and then kind of let the, the interior of the units be what they are. Yeah. When you're going through a CapEx plan like this, is there any room in the budget if you do need to renovate a unit or five? Oh, we definitely have some renovations in the unit. You know, clearly, you know, they hadn't been painted in maybe three years. There were definitely some units that needed some floors. We definitely knew we were going to get into appliances. You know, they hadn't bought top of the line appliances. Um, so, you know, some of them were three to five years old. So we definitely have interior renovations. It's just not like, so it's like four and a half thousand dollars a unit, not like $10,000 a unit where we're going down to the walls and a variety. So we got seven units that didn't need floors, didn't need anything major. Seven units were renovated for like $2,500, including maybe one appliance here and there, sort of on an average. So we were very, but we knew that going in and that's what was attractive. But there was also a lot of deferred maintenance. So we know of at least 12 AC units that have to be completely just replaced. And Okay. And then when you're developing the asset management plan, most of the time from what I've seen, because I do asset management for our stuff too, is there are one or maybe a handful of management deficiencies that, you know, just from people or management companies not necessarily paying attention to operating the deal to its full potential? Has there been any property management upgrades that you're going to implement when you, you know, when you? So it was definitely mismanaged. The property was mismanaged and the current owner had basically given up. It took a while to close. Loan assumptions take a long time and he, lost interest. So we got there and found out there hadn't been anybody in the office for six weeks. And the maintenance guy was wandering around lost, complaining, because I went and saw him a couple of days before we closed, complaining that they weren't approving to fix anything. And I understand that's kind of part of the game when you buy a mismanaged property, you know, from an out-of-state owner. You know, we didn't expect he wasn't like trying to leave any credibility. That was his last one in Texas. It's not like he bought it from somebody that they think, okay, 
I'm going to really do my well, do my best here as a seller because I've got four more assets I hope these guys will buy. Just traditionally what happens, you know, we were looking at the under 100 to stay out of the radar of the big boys, trying to stay, you know, we wanted to stay over the 60, 70 mark just so we could have on-site management. So there's definitely was a big management play, but also to our favor, our property management company is actually our lead GP as well. So we have an agreement that we can remove them because it was very clear to me that what if you lose interest in a property management company and focus, we still need that to protect the investors, but it's made life a lot easier, right? Because we're all aligned for the same plan. So she's not only tied in the success of being a successful property manager, she's a GP, the, the main and the majority sponsor, like out of all of us has the, the largest share. And so she, you know, her, Bread's getting buttered on both sides, as you could say, and right. so I'm highly motivated. And it, this was intentional. I'd already made an agreement that if she wasn't a GP, she'd manage all my properties just because we became good friends and I, I liked her. This is her space. She's really good at this kind of repositioning. Awesome. And what's the long-term plan for it? How many years do you plan on holding it? Yeah, so we presented a five year to the investors. We have seven years left on the loan. We're hoping to get out in three. So what would have to happen in three is we'd have to really execute well on our plan, get the NOI turned around. Interest rates would have to come back to a little bit more normal for it to be able to sell in three years. Assuming they come to a normal range, our prepayment penalty will be almost nothing. So we can sell it to somebody looking for fresh debt. And the reason when you buy a 60s property, you spend your CapEx money, but it's a high maintenance property. And so to be able to kind of the biggest value is to be able to get out at that spot and then leave something on the bone for the next buyer to pick up. But if the world doesn't come back to normal or something happens, we've got a long enough runway that there's still seven years left. So we could get out in the five or six, you know, so the nice thing about this deal is there were three very clear times that we could exit all depending on when we achieve the business plan. Absolutely. And when and the market's right, correct. It's like, so, you know, if we achieve the business plan and the market's not correct. You know, it's just, I mean, I'm looking at deals with fresh debt and it's, it's almost impossible. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're bringing a ton of cash with it. Yeah. So when you are, and I mean, you referenced, you got to leave meat on the bone and you have these certain timelines. When you're analyzing these deals or underwriting them to begin with, do you, I'm assuming you look at IRR targets. Do you look at the three, the five and the seven year IRR and just make sure that it's one of those? We looked at all of them. Yeah. Okay. Like if we could achieve this, we could get out here. If we could achieve that. IRR drops as we hold it longer, right. but multiple goes up. But IRR, IRR still, in my mind, that's the king, right? You know, at the end of the day, that's the true measure of whether you did well. So the three-year getting out the IRR looks really good. And the way we set the deal up is a bit of a waterfall. So if we achieve better than a 16% IRR, the GP split gets larger. So we're highly motivated to get our investors, you know, six more than 16% because we have to be able to get our extra pay plus still satisfy the 16% IRR, right? So it's like, a I call it the trifecta, the triple win, you know, everybody wins. And so we're motivated to get that because that's the biggest payday for the GP team. But 
very good that it's also the biggest payday for the LPs. Absolutely. It's the win-win-win situation. Yeah. And it was so, you know, so that's our goal, you know, because that's the grand slam, right? If you could do that. And then if we can't, you know, five years is very reasonable and we won't run into, you know, because by then we would have fixed all the deferred maintenance. You know, it took us a few weeks just to get caught up on work orders and tickets. And, you know, we brought some outside help in for just to speed up. We wanted tenants to notice a difference. Absolutely. And do you guys do with the waterfall structure? Do you guys have a preferred return quarterly or monthly? We do. We have a preferred return of 7%. We also have one that not a lot of people took advantage of. We did a PREF of 10% with no upside. And to be honest, we thought it would be more appealing as we were getting into this, like, you know, so they were they were second in line to get paid, right? So the lender's first in line, the 10% PREF was second, the 7% PREF is third, and the GPs are fourth. We thought more people would take that, but they didn't. A few people did, but it was okay. We still got some, and it was just a way to balance out the money. And we also thought it would be something that would be more desirable, right? Just, hey, things are getting a little dicey right now. Let's just try to go so we're second in line to get paid. Right. Well, and if you compare that to, say, the stock market right now, if you can kind of lock in that 10% return. Yeah. (laughs) Seems like it'd be hard to pass up. As a passive investor, I'm in a few of those. So I'm in one that's a 10% no upside, my IRA money. It's a medical center on a triple net lease. That's safe money. And, uh, you know, it was way better when inflation was only two or 3%, but it's still okay. And it's still all being earned tax free because it's through my retirement plan. It's just a different structure. And again, I always recommend people balance out a little bit. Don't have all of your deals with similar structures, similar things, so that you have, you know, you cover your bets, I guess is what I could say. Yeah. And then I don't know if you, I may have missed it, but do you guys do monthly or quarterly distributions to the investors? Quarterly, but again, we're not even finished the first full quarter. And we were honest with our investors, you know, on a deep value reposition, it's going to be about nine months before we start doing you know, and then 18 months to catch up to the prep payments. And, you know, we were very honest up front. We hope to over deliver. You know, that's our goal. That's everybody's goal. And we're working hard at it. But on a deep value add, especially one with no IO, you know, interest only payments for those that don't know what that means. I'm assuming if <laughs> your vet listers are sophisticated, but, you know, you got to, it changes the numbers a little bit. Right. The reason I ask is because I've been talking with people and it's coming. I guess more, you know, more usual where people syndicators are doing monthly distributions. And for the longest time, I always heard of quarterly. So I was curious just how you guys. Yeah. And I think the, I mean, there may be, I think the only people doing the monthly are the big guys that got this big machine. They got accounting in their, you know, for us, you know, we're a bunch of scrappy people doing this, uh, you know, it's a lot of work and, I understand. I, I've got some investors that did not invest because they wanted, first of all, they wanted quicker cash flow. They were cash flow investors and they wanted it monthly. And so, again, you want to make sure you're in, as a syndicator or as an investor, it's a match, right? You know, I had a lady call me and her explanation was, I need the cash flow. You know, I got some money. I don't want to. And I'm like, well, sorry, this is the wrong investment for you because I won't really be able to give it to you for you know, 12 to 18 months. Well, and that's a sign of a good sponsor because clearly it wasn't the right fit. And instead of trying to sell her on it, you were honest and 
she can use that money elsewhere. You know, life, I'm a big believer that karma is real and what you do is real. And, you know, my goal is to educate people to learn about passive investing. I hope eventually they do it with me. But I also teach a lot about making sure that you look for the right sponsor. That's hugely important. The right asset class that suits and the location that suits. You know, you got to get all of those things aligned, right? You know, I've invested in new builds and, you know, because it's a bigger multiplier because at the time I invested, I was still working. So I was looking for wealth creation. Mm -hmm. So to double my money in three years on a new build was very appealing. But to a cash flow person, that's not appealing because there is no cash flow. By the time they get the cash flow, actually, it's for sale. And that's what happens often on a new bill. That's the most efficient use of money, right? There's deals where you get the land entitlement and you build it up and you get it kind of to 80% occupied. And then you sell it to the next person who, you know, and then he takes it up and stabilizes it and refis it. You know, you got to understand what investments and how do they suit what my personal needs are at the time. Absolutely. Well, speaking of teaching and helping others learn, is there any place you want people to connect with you? Yeah. So the best is LinkedIn just because it's limitless and that's easy to find me. So you got to remember the K. So K Trevor Thompson. And if you just put in the message note, you know, because I'll kind of look at you and if you got nothing to do with real estate, sometimes I question, you know, LinkedIn didn't have the stalkers, be the weird people. But now there's, you know, I can't tell you how many women from Singapore, like with no friends of mine and no comments for a year. But so that's easiest because you can say, hey, I saw you in a podcast and then we can do a connection. My company is Niagara-Investments.com. And then I'm all over LinkedIn and Facebook. I'm very active, but on Facebook, I'm getting close to that 5,000. So I'm going to have to get rid of a bunch of people. And I do have a group page, Earn and Learn, because I want people to earn and learn at the same time. I want to educate investors. So that one is, you know, and it unfortunately hasn't that many in a mile. So I have a YouTube channel probably where you saw my videos. So yep. I try to be out there a lot on social media. And I set myself a goal that a thousand people reach financial independence. So I want to make sure I'm always clear with that. It means a thousand people investing with me. It means a thousand people that were touched by me started looking at real estate and decided that they wanted passive income. I'm a firm believer that don't wait to buy real estate, buy real estate and wait. And then the second one is until you make money in your sleep, you will work until you die. So you need your money to work for you. And real estate is the most efficient place for your money to go to work. And you can go to bed while your money goes to work. <laughs> I love it. So I got one final question for you. And it's specific to this deal that we've talked about. What is the biggest takeaway? And I know it's very early on in this process, but what's the biggest takeaway you've gotten from this specific deal? So I guess the biggest sort of like surprise to me was I never anticipated that the previous owner would like just walk away. You know, th that was just shocking. And I mean, I'll be honest, like on closing day, we asked who was going to come and give his keys and he said, break in and hung up. That's, that's <laughs> my mind was blown. But on the other side of the coin, you know, I knew asset management was hard, but it's really hard. And I want to make sure people understand like people that are, Asset managers on properties really trying to do a good job. They're working hard. Now, once we get stabilized, I won't be working as hard. 
right? It would be a little more clockwork and then it would be just smaller incremental improvements. But, you know, I've been on the property, we've owned it for seven weeks and I've been there eight times. <laughs> so I'm a little probably over the top, but that's my personality, but I think it's okay. That's awesome. Trevor, thank you again so much for sharing about this deal today and for joining us on the Westside Investors Network podcast. All your links will be linked down in the description of the show notes so people can connect with you. And again, I appreciate your time today. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast on WIN, your community of investing knowledge for growth. We hope that this episode has increased your knowledge and added value to your path to freedom. If you would, please take a second to rate us so that we can get more great investors to interview. If you or someone that you know wants to be on, please visit westsideinvestors.com and fill out our form to be on the show. Thank you again and enjoy your day.